I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym, and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at Kind Farms Inc. All one word. That's K I N D P H A R M S I N C. And their website is kindfarmsinc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is Ryan10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Today on An Actor Despairs, we have an incredible episode with writer, creator, producer, showrunner, Karina McKenzie. Karina McKenzie is a legend in this business, and she had such an amazing journey. She started out interested in writing, made her way to a journalist at the Los Angeles Times, got a connection to the Vampire Diaries, having covered the show so much for that publication, and then cooked her way up into a writer's room on the originals, and now is the showrunner of the TV show Roswell. She's had such a wonderful career and is really honest about how she got a chance and how people really took a chance on her and how she manifested her creative dreams and continues to pursue them. I'm so excited. Karina, I'm so grateful. I love you. Here's the episode. Karina McKenzie, welcome to An Actor Despairs. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. I'm fine relative to how everything is going in the world, I guess. Yeah, where, where are you quarantining? Um, I'm in Los Angeles right now. I just yeah. moved. So I oh. like moved in the middle of all of this. And it was moved twice, yeah. actually. Where, wait, where from and where to? And then we're now, obviously, to L.A. again. So um, I just, uh, within L.A., I moved from Hancock Park, and now I'm in the Valley. And I oh. uh, just got a new place because I realize nothing like quarantine to make you like realize what you don't like about your own home yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, also during this process had to move out of my place in santa fe which is where we shoot roswell um yeah. and that was like an adventure i mean i was like i was like driving 12 hours back and forth like trying to avoid using gas station bathrooms wiping every single box down like letting the cardboard air out so fun. <laughs> oh man! Well, I'm so sorry to go through that, but oh man, I'm 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 such a big fan. Of, <laughs> well, I'm such a big fan of you and of what you've been able to do as a as a showrunner, as producer, as a creator, as an incubator. I mean, it's it, starting with 
with the Flash, that was kind of your first foray. Is, is that correct? And then no, um, the originals was the first thing. The first thing that I did. Oh, so the originals before the Flash. Yeah, in the okay, middle so of in the middle of my run on the originals, I popped off and did a, a Flash episode. Got it. But now you have the Smash Hit Roswell, which is like an incredible show, especially for a show that's on CW. You know, dealing with like the racism and the LGBTQ and the immigration. It's like not easy to make that so naturally part of that environment without political, but it, the realism and natural of that is, is amazing. You know, specifically for a show that has to fit on that medium. And I'm so curious to talk to you about that, but before we even dig in, let's start from the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut. Okay. Um, yeah. I went to public school and had two sisters. My, my, uh, my dad worked in New York city. Um, and, I always like. I feel like I have like an origin story, like my like terrible superhero origin story. Um, I was a really shy kid. I was ever, like, one of those people. Like, I just like felt like every time I talked, I was too loud, and I so I should shut up. Yeah. And um, after, but but I grew up. My mom's Muslim. My mom's Egyptian. My dad's Canadian. Um, I grew up like going to Islamic school as a kid, and then after nine eleven, I experienced a lot of Islamophobia. Um, Mostly because kids around me didn't know uh, yeah. what they were talking about, and they didn't know that I was Muslim. Um, and I came out of my shell a lot, so I kind of had to stick up for myself and stick up for my family. And um, that—that's sort of the the beginning of the story. Because I don't think anyone who knows me now would describe describe me as shy or quiet in any scenario. Of course. Um, and that really evolved from from you know being fourteen and and having to stand up to people like teachers and you know other kids at school. Wow! So even and, teachers and, were being nasty. It's funny because I look back on it now and I'm like, people just didn't understand and people were so scared and so misinformed. Yeah. Um, by you know the news and the president. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and. Well. Uh, Oh, and she so did a good job of that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was about nastiness so much. It was about a lack of understanding and a, a real fear. Um, yeah. And uh, it's easier to understand that now as an adult versus when I was 14. And I was like, why is the world against me? I didn't do this thing. Oh, um, <laughs> but it gave me a voice. It gave me like a, a cause or a, a, a point of view um, and made me realize that I, even when I was uncomfortable speaking up my voice had value and I think that you know look if I could go back in time and undo 9-11 obviously I would do that yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I also think that because of that terrible event I I wouldn't be who I am or where I am now I have no idea who I would be but it would be a completely different person I, I totally I'm a drug addict and alcoholic four years sober and obviously I wish I could undo that but I wouldn't be who I am so I I identify with making the best out of a really bad, you know. So yeah. that's that's it's so not cute. like yay nine eleven. So I'm out of my We we should create that show, yay nine eleven. It would do really well right now. Very popular. But talk to me then, you know, because that's a that's a really heavy thing to deal with very young, especially like I can't even, you know. I mean, obviously, just on a superficial glance, I can understand how no one would ever think that's part of you or your culture, or your yeah. heritage. So what were your coping mechanisms? Like how did the, talk to me about the, the artistry and TV, like were you? Yeah. I think what, that what was that, helping you? I think that, um, 
that that sort of disappearing into world of TV was was definitely uh, had its appeal. Um, it's funny, my mom now she's she. I wasn't really allowed to watch a lot of TV as a kid. I like, you know, we were allowed like very supervised television watching. My mom was pretty strict. Um, she didn't think she was because she had grown up in a very strict Muslim household, and so she felt like she was like just. The hippie. The mother ever because we got like one half an hour of Sabrina the Teenage Witch every week. Then <laughs> Melissa Joan Hart days? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was I, like, that was Like, yeah. I wasn't allowed to watch Dawson's Creek. Um, hey, why? Because it, it, there was a Rolling Stone article um, that said that this is a, this new TV show where teenagers speak frankly about sex. And it was like, well, that's not airing in our household. Um, but I was so, obsessed with it. Same so, with the OC or the OC came a little later. I, yeah. I, by the time the OC was on, my parents had split up and I was allowed to watch it. Now. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, but with Glasses Creek, I didn't watch it really while it was on, but I did. I bought the box sets when they came out and I would like lock myself in a room and watch these DVD box sets. And my parents, my mom tells people today, like, she thought something was wrong with me because I would watch these things over and over and over again. She was like, why can my kid watch? Like, is she on the spectrum? Like, is, yeah. is, is everything okay? Is, is there, there's some emotional thing going on? Cause she just keeps watching the same episode of television over and over. And even then at like 15, I was like, I'm doing research. <laughs> That's amazing. What well, I got to ask just because I know that was such of the time too, was boy meets world at all a part of your, like Rolodex of shows? Um, yeah, I watched Boy Meets World. I, um, I, so that was like the, the TGIF stuff was the stuff I was allowed to watch. Got it. Um, and like, and so it was like Boy Meets World, Screen the Teenage Witch. There was an Olsen twin show on for a while. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. I was like, it, but that was like, there was like a Friday night block. We would order pizza and our whole family would watch these shows together. Like me and, yeah. my, and my parents. Um, and that was allowed, but like, I never, I didn't watch Buffy. I didn't watch Charmed. I didn't like, that was all stuff I wasn't allowed to watch as a kid. I did wow. used to sneak down to my basement. We had like this, this kind of finished basement with one of those old TVs with the antennas. And I would sit there with my hand on the plug and like, listen for when my mom would come down the stairs and unplug the, the, uh, <laughs> no way. <laughs> the TV when she came down and just like pretend I was down there reading. Anyway, I always say like, if my mom had just let me watch television, like a normal kid, I would be a fucking rocket scientist by now. But I like, I'm going to TV <laughs> because I'm a rebel and this is my, you know, grand rebellion. Um, she did ease up. So she care. <laughs> She's cool now. If you can, if you can remember, what was it about Dawson's Creek that that seemed so alluring and fascinating to you? Was there something that that depicted in a way you hadn't really seen before, or was no. it? It wasn't about that I hadn't seen it before. It was just that it was that it looked so much like my life. If you wow. looked at my backyard, it looked like Dawson's backyard. And I felt like I was like the gawky, nerdy girl who everybody was friends with and, but like, didn't think of as like sexy. And I just, I felt like I was being so represented by that show, yeah. which is easy because I was a white kid growing up in an affluent suburb and, you know, on the East coast. And right. so it, it just goes to show you how important, how much representation means to you. And for me, I it was everywhere. I mean, I could see myself in Rory Gilmore. I could see myself in like, you know, Felicity, but yeah. I, but it meant so much to me to sort of be like, this looks like my life. Yeah. Um, and it's, 
a little glossier and a little prettier and a little bit more, you know, Dawson's Creek better. It was it was very well articulated. So um, w- would you say in some ways that was kind of your first cathartic experience just because you related to it on, on that intense of a level? I think so. I, I think so. I think it was a little bit less cathartic and more um, like idealism, a little bit. Got it. Okay. Um, a little bit of an escape. Um, Were you team Dawson or team Pacey? I was, so looking back, I'm like team Pacey forever. But like I, the way that I watch TV is very different. I think from a lot of people, cause I get fans of my entire career. I've had fans in my mentions being like, I like this guy or this guy. And like, if this, this relationship doesn't end up together, then there was, he's no out. He's out. <laughs> That's not how I watched television. Even as a kid, I was like, I was always kind of rooting for whoever they weren't with right now. Like I always wanted to watch the, the evolution and to see the change. And Kevin Williamson described it really well. One of, cause I used to be a journalist and he was one of the, no, he was the first person that I interviewed as a journalist. And I was such a big fan. He was a, he, he wrote Dawson's Creek and he described that, that feeling of sweaty palms and wobbly knees and that's what I love to watch was the oh. that sort of sense of like the first time and the nerves and the like the, the sweaty palms of first love. And that yeah. was what drew me in to TV. And uh, I think that I still, even though I'm writing about adults now, I still try to capture that feeling of, of sweaty palms. And, oh, and you, you romance. Do. Yeah. I love that. That's so beautiful. And then in high school did, do things I hope ease up for you a little bit more? You know, you see your parents split up. Like, were you able? What were um, you watching then? Did like? Um, where, I, I, I guess I'm trying to ask. Where did the imperative of like? I think I want to. You know, I know you were a journalist at first, but I think I really want to like go further I, into this path. I think that. I, I, my entire life, I wanted to be a writer. I don't remember a time when I didn't want to be a writer. So it's really hard for me to like, you know, pinpoint a time. Um, and the the way that I've wanted to write has evolved for a really long time, like a lot over the years. Um, I when I was in high school, I was writing a lot of short stories. Um, uh, I took creative writing independent studies at school. Like I would, I instead of having open periods, and all the other kids would be like, you know driving them like get a milkshake or whatever i like filled my 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 time with creative writing independent studies um and won some like little awards and stuff for writing short stories when i went to college i was a poet um i really wanted to i really like had this idea of like growing up and being a poet and publishing poetry books and i still want to do that i just also really like money I get it. Where, where, did, where did you go to school? What writing program did you in? I went to the University of Colorado. Okay. Um, Amazing. When I was in, in high school, I was a competitive skier, and I wanted to ski, not competitively, but I wanted to go to school where I could ski. So I only applied to schools in Vermont and Colorado. Wow. Um, and I went to Colorado with like a, a pack of boys from my ski team, my high school ski team. So I like showed up in Colorado with like five dudes from high school that were like my bodyguards. Oh, so um, you already had like a friend group. Yeah. 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 I, I, a friend group and like, uh, an arm, an armor, which I think hurt me a little bit. Like I, I, I've gone to the same, was in the same school system my entire childhood. Yeah. Um, went to college with built in group of friends and I never had to, I never had to start over. I never had to make friends by myself. Um, yeah. until I moved to LA, which was scary. But when I was in college, I was like, 
I was very artsy. I used to like get up early and go like chalk poems on the, the sidewalks on campus. Like it was like part of my whole shtick was like, wow, read them as they walked to class. It was, I was such, I was, I was very pretentious. I <laughs> love that. I, 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 I'm very pretentious. I went to NYU, so I went to school yeah. three thousand of you. So I, I NYU, love it. NYU yeah. was my dream. I actually, when I was a sophomore in college, applied to transfer, and then kind of got cold feet and was scared of like starting building over. Like, yeah, yeah, and ended up staying in Colorado. And I'm glad I stayed in Colorado because I don't think that I will ever have that experience again of like you know University of Colorado at Boulder is beautiful it's like on the side of a mountain and it's very chill it was like one of the top party schools and I'm very type A I'm not a very chill person yeah so I think it's sort of forcing myself into this like I'm going to the football games I'm smoking weed and I'm like you know going skiing after class I actually weirdly enough it was very good for me yeah. because it wasn't this constant rat race of competition which I probably will be in for the rest of my life but um, you're doing an amazing job <laughs> I, I gotta ask you though being a, a writer there I mean obviously were you aware of the legendary Matt Stone and Trey Parker and what they did or was that yeah. still- <laughs> like yeah. it was like they made Cannibal the musical right and then it was like uh-huh. Orgasmo and then they got South Park. Yeah, they were very yeah. legendary. And South Park was, you know, for for a bunch of stoner kids at University of Colorado, it was like the gospel. Oh um, yeah. And I think it's it's funny because I um, I took like a couple of screenwriting classes, not nothing really substantial, because University of Colorado the film program was really small. So like my my screenwriting classes were classes that I took in the like adult learning program that you had to like apply to, and they were like night classes. Um, but I had a professor who I, I turned in a, a draft of a, a feature, and he was like, "You're a very good writer, but you're not funny." And I was like, "Huh?" Yeah. And he was like, yeah, just, he was like, just stick with drama. Don't try to be funny. You can feel your try. I'm telling you, I can feel, I can feel how hard you're trying to be funny. And I was like, fuck, I think I'm funny. And now I look back and I'm like, well, you obviously were like a world, you know, a, 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 an award winning screenwriter, teacher of a night class in Colorado. Yeah. But it really got to me. And so I had this like, like when it comes to like people like Trey Parker and Matt Stone, it was like, these are these comedy legends that came out of this town and like, I'm not funny. <laughs> one one of the reoccurring things I talk about with artists and guests on this podcast is finding your voice, whether that be in writing and acting and directing or, you know, for musicians, it's tone, it's style. For you, you know, it's a mix of all of those for writing. Do you feel like that kind of took shape at, at Boulder or no. was it wasn't until you moved to L.A. where you really started to form your voice? Yeah, no, it wasn't. It was more when I moved to LA. Um, and I think that figuring out what my voice was as a person, as a person like speaking, um, had a lot to do with it. Twitter weirdly had a lot to do with it. Um, in, in that sense of like, I, I was very, I was on Twitter very early. I just the other day I tweeted something along the lines of like, I've you, been you on- also hire writers off Twitter, don't you? I have, I have hired a writer off of Twitter and I was hired off of Twitter. Wow. Um, by Julie, Julie Pleck and I met over Twitter. Um, and she, you know, changed my life 
And so the, but the, that sort of like, it was back in the, the 140 character days of like, you've got this much space yeah. to either say something meaningful, meaningful or to be funny. Um, and, and what did you, did you do both or? I tried. Yeah. <laughs> I got to find these um, tweets. <laughs> but I think, but I think that, um, I think that like that, that sort of sense of, of creating a brand for yourself and like putting yourself out there constantly. I was, I wanted to be a writer. And so I was, I wanted to, at the time I was, I was a journalist. I was writing about TV and I wanted eyes on my work. Zap to it, right? Yeah. So I started, I started the LA times and then I went to zap to it and a few pieces for like, uh, teen Vogue and stuff like that. But zap to it was mostly it. And that site doesn't even exist anymore. So all of those things are gone. (laughs) Well, so then was it the job that brought you to LA versus making you just decide to go to New York city or did you just want to go to LA? I love TV. Um, when I was in college, my first, like the thing I kind of wanted to do and still kind of want to do is, um, be a music supervisor. What oh, I didn't realize yeah. is that being a music supervisor is one of the hardest jobs to get in television because there's like one music supervisor who covers like 10 shows. So there yeah. are very few positions available. And I also realized like, like kind of late in the game that it's, it wasn't just about like, I, you know, I make really cool iPod playlists. Like to be a music supervisor, you have to have your finger on the pulse. Our music supervisor, Chris Malaire, who I love and have worked with on all, on, on, you know, the originals and now on Roswell and hopefully we'll work with forever and ever. He was like, you know, doing college radio and like he goes to, sh- or went before the quarantine went to shows like literally multiple times a night. Um, and I was like, oh, that's a lot. But I, I loved music. And so I wanted to get into my, my first thought was I want to choose the songs for TV. And that was like during, you know, uh, the OC was over. Grey's Anatomy was sort of in its in its heyday. It was like music on television was making this comeback, a, a, a sort of a jukebox show. Was yeah. Comeback with needle drops. And I love that. So that Especially was like, like how the OC wrote music performances and launch fans in the yeah. show. Yeah. Yeah. So many. I yeah. Like Dead Cab and, and yeah. Oh, yeah. Killers, yeah. The Killers, yeah. like Mr. Brightside, like yeah. that's huge. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to do music and not, I, I don't have a lot of musical talent myself, um, but I wanted to, to place music in TV. That was my goal. So I came out here. Um, I left, I like, you know, packed my Prius up in Colorado and drove out here after I graduated and, um, with no money and stayed with a friend, um, and like had a couple shitty assistant jobs. Um, not that the jobs were shitty. I was just a shitty assistant. It's <laughs> <laughs> a hard not, thing to be good at. <laughs> not built for it. Um, yeah. and, uh, I ultimately found myself um, writing TV recaps. I, I had a, a day job as a PA, and then I was writing TV recaps for the LA Times, and um, they paid 100 bucks a recap. So that time I was making so little money as a PA that in doing one show a night uh, for the LA Times, I could quit my job as a PA and I slowly transitioned writing from writing recaps. Julie Pleck and Kevin Williamson read one of the recaps of the vampire diaries that I wrote and they, um, reached out to me on Twitter and they were like, we just read this recap and we, or this review that you wrote and we finally feel like someone understands what we're trying to do at the time. They were like the twilight knockoff. And I kind of written and been like, here's what, 
here's what's great and here's what's new about this show and here's what's better than Twilight about this show. And they were like, oh, finally somebody sees what... Understands us. I love that. Or <laughs> have two brothers that were trying yeah. to tell and they reached out and they were like, who are you? And then um, ultimately... I got to do a couple interviews with them for the LA Times, and then Julie asked me to dinner. And like, like I said, Dawson's Creek like was my life. Yeah. And I did not know that Kevin Williamson was coming to this dinner. We went to Katsuya in Hollywood, and Julie and I were chatting. And then Kevin sat down, and I was 22. Um, I just kind of told them my life story, and we talked about the show and about TV. And the end of the dinner, Julie said you're in the wrong business. You should be a storyteller. And I was like, I, I mean, it's, I liked my job. Like I, I yeah. liked writing about TV. I really did. And I, um, at the time being a television writer seemed so insanely out of reach to me just because it's a, a hard job to get into. It's, you know, you have a million insecurities and imposter syndrome and all of those things. And I have this professor in my head who tells me I'm not funny. Um, yeah. And uh, I just, it, it seemed like a very scary leap to take. Um, and it was, it was five years before I did it. It was wow. like, she told me that at dinner and it was another five years before actually from another nudge from her finally got me to like quit my job as a journalist and go after what I really wanted. And while you were at the Times, were you writing screenplays at all or ideas? Or? Um, I wrote one uh, pilot with my roommate, Tierney Bricker, who is uh, still an a entertainment journalist. She works at E! Online, and she's phenomenal. Um, we wrote a pilot about called The Sealy about a essentially a like coven of fairies, like a bunch of teenagers who don't know that they're in this coven of fairies, and then it, it was very, like, derivative of every, you know, secret yeah. circle kind of thing that you've seen. But there are still pieces of it that I really am proud of. And we built a world. We learned, we figured out how to do world building. And, but that was, you know, now that I look back, I'm like, oh my God, it's so embarrassing that I asked people to read this. Script. No, that's amazing. That's what you do. You got to put yourself <laughs> out there. And, and, and what was it in those five years that helped you go further and further away from journalism into the writing? Was it, was, was she kept pulling you or was it you being like, she's right. I got to do this. Or was it a mix of both? Thing. It was a confidence thing, not about my writing, but about my worth and, and my voice and, um, whether I belonged at that, just whether I, sh- I deserve to sit at a cool kid's lunch table. Honestly, yeah. like there, it's that little thing inside of you being like, am I too loud? Am I too awkward? Do I, do I not, you know, Am I less informed than I think I am? Um, and what ended up happening over the course of that five years was I was really embraced, welcomed into the fold um, with the cast and the crew of The Vampire Diaries. And the reason that it made such a difference was because moving to L.A. was the first thing I had ever done by myself. I had one friend here um, who, you know, it was amazing. And I, I helped me get the job at the L.A. Times, like just a great human being. Her name's Amy Kaufman. And now she's like a huge big shot journalist at the LA times. Um, but, uh, but I only had one friend and I was really adrift and really nervous all the time. And then I started, Julie started giving me access to Vampire Diaries set. Um, when I was, was that in Georgia though? Or did that move? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was in Georgia. Um, 
But as I, you know, I was the same age as all those cast members. Um, Ian and Jerry. Yeah, Ian, it was, um, you know, Ian and Nina were so lovely to me. And, and Paul, like Paul Wesley and Candace King now are still two of my closest friends. Oh. Um, you know, we just went to Ibiza together last year. Like, That's I, amazing. I know. <laughs> but they, but, but it, for me, it was like this moment of like, you know, I'd go to set, I'd interview them, and then I'd be like getting ready to go back to my hotel. And somebody'd be like, Hey, you want to come? We're going to go play bocce ball and grab a drink. You want to come? And I was like, What? <laughs> like, <laughs> you want me to hang out with you? And it, it, it seems like such a small thing, but like, I tell this story a lot uh, talking about Michael Trevino, who's on Roswell now. Um, he's one of our one of our actors on Roswell, and he was on Vampire Diaries. And the yeah. first day that I had ever set foot on a television set, I was so nervous. I'm like in the van going from base camp, which I didn't know was called base camp. Just yeah, there. with and a bunch of like, people you don't know yeah. in a van, like just and trying to. Somebody's like, just grab a chair at Video Village. And I'm like, what the fuck is Video Village? Yeah. Um, and I. Michael Trevino had read a bunch of my articles that had been published in the LA Times as an LA kid, and he was reading the articles about the show, and he was like, are you Crane and McKenzie? And I was like, yeah, did I do something wrong? I'm like, oh, God. And he was like, no, I read your articles, and he could see how nervous I was, and we got to set, and he was like, I've got some time. Do you want to take a walk? And he showed me what the video ability was, showed me craft service, and we walked Aww. around the, the set that was the... And it was the first time I'd ever set foot on set, and I felt like... Oh, like, I don't know, man. I guess the story is when people are good to you. Yeah. What an angel. Such a difference. And then, you know, it was really cool for me because what, like almost a decade later, he walked into audition for Roswell and I was like, what the fuck are you doing auditioning? Please come do the show. Yeah. (laughs) Um, He's one of the leads, right? He's the, right. Yeah. Yeah. One of our, one of our series regulars and, and, it was funny. It was, it's just, it wasn't even a moment of like, Oh, you did something nice for me. Let me do something nice for you. It was like you, the, the, the attitude, the, the, the welcome, the welcoming nature of that set largely, you know, established by Julie Platt because that's what she expected of her cast when a guest came to set was kindness. And that kindness made me feel like I had a place in this world that I never dreamed that I would have a place in. But if, you know, if Paul Wesley is inviting me to the cool Comic-Con after party after meeting me on set, then like, maybe I didn't say something stupid that day. Maybe I, maybe what I, what I said made people listen. And, and, you know, it seems it's small kindnesses add up. And I, by the end of my run as journalist, and I really liked being a journalist. I was not like sad and, 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 you know, pining for a better life. I really loved that gig. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of like felt like I had, I belonged there and I, I had a safety net a little bit. Yeah. Um, certainly not like financially or right. Career wise, but at least socially, I knew that I was going to walk onto set and people were going to be rooting for me. Yeah. And, um, that, I mean, changed my life. I, I am grateful for it every day and I try really hard to pay it forward. 
was Julie letting you in the writer's room? Like, did you get to come no. just sit? <laughs> no, no, no. I was like, uh, you know, I I got in trouble a few times for like tweeting spoilers and stuff like that. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's a miracle that they like let me stick around. Um, I, so, so as a journalist, because I was writing about TV, I couldn't just like go interview for jobs in writer's rooms. Like right. it was very, it was very conflict of interest you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, Julie was like, you've got to quit your job as a journalist. If you want me to, watch, if, if like, I want to interview you. We, they were spitting the, the vampire eyes off onto the originals. Like yeah. it just gotten word. This pilot was probably going to move forward into a TV show. And, um, and she, that was the longest running CW show at the time. Wasn't it? Vampire Diaries was. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, no. Uh, supernatural. Forever. Oh, Supernatural. Uh, Boy, yeah. sure. Like me. <laughs> it still isn't over. Like, yeah. it, it, they thought it was over, and then it's like coronavirus, and it's like, guess it's staying. Um, yeah. But, um, which, by the way, was my favorite show. Being on the Supernatural set was the coolest thing that I've ever done as a journalist, and I will. Oh, that's great. awesome. I um, love that. But uh, the... The, the yeah, Julie said you got to quit your job because none of us can interview you because it was like one of those things where it's like, what if I go into interview for to be the writer's assistant on the Vampire on on the originals, and then they don't pick me, and then I go like write a shitty review of the show. Yeah, I get that now. Uh, that makes sense. And so I interviewed um, with Greg Berlanti and with Julie, both of whom have been like incredible champions of yeah. me for my entire career, which is insane to me because they're both big, you know, very influential for- forces on Dawson's Creek, which was, yeah. Thing. My dog's name is Pacey. Um, Amazing. <laughs> the, the, and they, uh, I, Julie offered me the job as writer just to sit on the original. So that's the foot in the door that I got five years oh. into my journalism career, you know, eventually got the gig as assistant. And I will not lie. It was a very hard year. Assistant. Just the I, learning curve of it all, or the intensity, or both. The learning curve. Um, the, the sitting three feet away from where you really want to be sitting is yeah. really, really hard on your soul because sure. you want to be seen, you want to be noticed so badly, you want to say something brilliant and like yeah. pitch the idea, and like I would like pitch something. And it would get through. Like, a lot of things that I pitched in season one of the originals as writer's assistant actually made it to the screen. But Julie didn't know that was my pitch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like Mike Carducci, who was the showrunner at that time, it, he's getting so many things coming out of it once. He doesn't remember that I'm one sitting in the corner, that I'm like, that's my idea. Can somebody, like, tell me about it? They, they don't put that on the teleplay, right? No. You know, like, this no. is great. <laughs> no. Yeah. I did have this incredible encyclopedic knowledge of the vampire diaries. Because to write my reviews, I would watch each episode three times. Wow. And so... You know, the, the writers would be of the originals would be like, okay, so then we're gonna this person turns into a werewolf, and I'd be in the corner like, that's not how you turn a person into a werewolf. <laughs> can I just borrow the can I borrow the mic the the, uh, the marker for a second? Let me show you on this whiteboard how a person becomes a werewolf. <laughs> that's amazing. And and I so I was I had I had value in the room. But also, as a writer, you're not supposed to talk that much. So I would um, sort of be like, when do I tell them that this is not yeah. the way you mean plural? Um, by season three, they started giving you episodes to write, right? Yeah. I, season so, two, no, okay. I, oh, sorry, that's wrong. I wrote, I wrote my first episode in season one. Oh, you um, did? Okay, yeah. okay. I, um, 
here's here's how that happened. I was a writer's assistant who got in trouble a lot. Like the showrunner was frequently like, "You need to talk less. Your job as a writer's assistant is to sit in the corner and write or, or, and take notes." And that was really hard for me because I had fought and worked really hard to feel like my voice had value. Yeah, and, and then you, so, it's diminished in, in yeah. one and, second. And the thing is, it's not that wasn't him being shitty. That's just yeah. like the rule. Like as a writer's assistant, yeah. shut up and write, and, and, and you know, take your notes, yeah. learn and learn and learn and learn and learn. Yeah, and, the um, AD doesn't tell an actor the intention exactly. in a scene. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Learn, just sit yeah. And I was having yeah. a really hard time doing that because I had gone through a lot to feel like I deserve to speak and um, finding the balance between finding that balance finding the humility um, was something that was honestly tough for me and I looking back very tough for my showrunner um, <laughs> so I, I have a lot of respect for Mike Nardici for not like firing me on this on the spot but um, over the Christmas break he was writing a very difficult episode it was episode 116 of the originals uh, and it was essentially a bottle episode where the three siblings get trapped in a cemetery together and have to sort of hash out a thousand years of, of family drama and he was having a wow. tough time with it um, over the Christmas break and I was in Australia with my family for the, for the break um, and I was on my computer like so much like being like no remember like here's the thing that you need from this notes and let me let me help you remember what we talked about in the room and here's, yeah. what, you here's what you said and he I think when I came back from that break he was like you did a really good job like you helped a lot we're gonna you're gonna get an episode this season and it was like this incredible sense of relief and like oh wow. I all that time that I was sitting in the corner being like please notice please notice please notice finally I felt like I got noticed um and I wrote episode 120 with Julie Pleck um the I had to write it twice because the first episode the first version that we wrote we um had a focus on this character Cole who's played by a guest star uh, he played one of the brothers of, of the, the main siblings. Yeah. Um, and so we were going to bring him back to the show, do a whole episode about his backstory. So we wrote this whole Cole-centric episode. And then we found out that it was going to be airing the same night as um, the, an episode of Supernatural that was supposed to be a spinoff that starred the guy who played Cole. And so the CW was like, yeah, can you not do that on the same night? Can you do a different, a different episode? And so I did like start like throw that whole thing away and then start yeah. from scratch. Um, and then I ultimately got to turn that episode into an eight minute web series. The, the Amazing. Following. Yeah. Oh. But um, I'm, really, I'm still really proud of that episode. That episode still has, I think the best line that I've ever written. Um, oh, what is the line? Uh, Haley asks Klaus, uh, he's not even, you know, why do you, why do you call him your father? He's not even your real dad. And Klaus says because he's done damage that only a father can do. Oh, David Simon levels there, Karina. Yeah, my dad's calling me like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> <laughs> um, That's that amazing. Was my first episode of TV, and I got to. It was hard, and and I got to. But like I said, I went to set for that, and it was a tough time on set. We had, I mean, we had to do like a reshoot of a scene and all this, but I, when I got to set, I knew that I had people in my corner because I knew Joseph Morgan, the star of the show from when I was a journalist. And I knew Phoebe Tonkin, the star of the show from when I was a journalist. And I had 
Um, my friend Eva McKenna was the producer's assistant that I knew from when I was a journalist. Yeah. And she now works on, on Roswell with me. So like I had people that had my back and I think that, that you can't undervalue that feeling. And I think yeah. it's that we, we, as a, an industry need to start. We, we need support. Yeah, especially yeah. people that are marginalized, you know, uh, minorities and, and people who, who need more support than somebody privileged like me needs. Yeah. Like showing up for people is, is the first thing and the easiest thing. And somehow it's not getting done enough. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, if, if there's anything that I'm trying to, to do, it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how talented you are if nobody has your back. Yeah. And so having people, when, when you find somebody talented, have their back because, yeah. you know, that's so beautiful. Go way in. And, and at this point, you know, I know you guys had a long run there. What, where did the flash thing come from? Was that the CW just asking you for an episode or? No, I, um, I, I think Greg Berlanti reached out to me and was like, do you want to come do one? It was a tough time. And I, I feel comfortable saying it was a tough time in, in, you know, the long history of the flash. Andrew Kreisberg was yeah. running the show. Um, the, the writers weren't happy with the leadership over there. Yeah. And so I've heard a lot of stuff. Yeah. About that show. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. It was tough. And, and right now, I think it's one of the best shows to work on on the, on the CW. Um, the- Michael Keaton's apparently about to do it, so it must be pretty good. <laughs> but Eric, Eric, um, the, the current showrunner has, you know, really changed the, the environment over there. But at the time, it wasn't the best place to be. And I, uh, Greg kind of said, come do an episode of The Flash. And, and, I was very eager to fill the time because we had just wrapped up a season of the originals, you know, the originals by the end, I think we were doing 16 episodes a season, maybe, yeah. maybe 13. Um, but the flash was still doing like 25 and yeah. it was also just cool. Like I had never written anything that wasn't the originals. So it was yeah. really exciting for me to get to go and write something new and different. I did the episode where Barry goes into the future and fights his future self. Wow. Um, and I like texted Grant Gustin, who I knew just like through social circles, and I was like, yeah. "I'm so sorry when you get this script because you're in every single scene, and some scenes you're in twice, some scenes you're playing both president." Oh, he played future himself too. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow! And, and, and like he was in every single scene, and we would never do that to an actor on the originals, yeah. like ever, ever, ever. And and so the fact, and he was like, "Oh man, it's okay, I'm used to it." And I was like, "Seriously, like this is." hard and so um, I'm very glad for Grant because one he's a phenomenal human being and I want yeah. him to be happy but but things have gotten a little easier for him on that show I think not easy but easier touche and, and it was you a really got, cool experience you, you got four or five seasons out of the originals five yeah five. wow yeah. I mean I was writer's assistant for one but I did get one episode in there and by the end I was a producer so by the end did you feel really comfortable you know in in, in the medium and in that network and in just all of your capacities as, as a creative. Yeah. I think I'm really lucky to have worked with Julie Pleck for so long because she is not a person who like needs the power and control and credit. Like she's very happy to teach someone else how to do her job and then let you do your job. So by the end, as I was very comfortable as far as making decisions about the show, you know, um, 
not having to call Julie every second from set to, to ask what she wanted. I was confident that I could put her vision on screen, which is what your job is when you're, yeah. you're a, you know, a staff writer or a producer is to get the showrunner's vision on, onto the screen. Um, so going back to my earlier question then, do you feel like by the end of the originals is when you found your voice? Sort of. So the, after season four of the originals, I had a little bit of a panic attack because I was trying to write something else. Um, I didn't have a sample. I didn't have like a script that was like, this is, this is my pilot. You know, yeah. I, you call it a sample in the business where it's like somebody wants to have a meeting with you and first they read your sample to figure out what your voice is. And I didn't have, I just hadn't written anything. The sample um, meaning like your take on it's always sunny in Philadelphia or that's like. Spec. Yeah. So that's spec, one yeah. version. So that's one version of a sample. Um, yeah. but, but lately things have skewed more to where people want to read original works. So they want to read your pilot or your feature or your play. Got it. Um, and I didn't have one and I realized at the end of season four of the originals that I had gotten so obsessed with accurately mimicking Julie's voice and Michael Narducci's voice, who's the other showrunner of the originals at the time, that I had lost what made me sound like me. And so the way that I actually um, found my voice again was I took the online masterclass that uh, Aaron Sorkin did. Oh, the real, like the ones on Instagram ads? Yep, the ones on Instagram ads. I paid like $99 and I took, I did one class like every day. I would do a class during my lunch break at the originals. I was like taking that, was taking notes. I was doing the homework assignments. I was like participating. I was really like taking the class. And it helped because it was like Sorkin's voice is over here, Julie Plex's voice is over here, and I fell somewhere in the middle. So I was able to find my my rhythms and my sarcasm and and my, my you know on the originals we were writing about thousand year old vampires so it was a very antiquated and very flowery way of speaking um, and I kind of had to shake myself out of that that oh. space um, and then I wrote a pilot called Ordinary Noise which was it's, uh, it's about a it's about the music industry. I, um, okay. I, I don't want to talk about it too much because I'm still trying to get it made. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Please, because they, they got roadies so wrong. I don't know it's how Cameron Crowe could Yeah, I still think it's the best thing I've ever written. And that was it took a lot of uh, research. So I could talk to a lot of musicians. I talked to a lot of... Um, I was the roadie, so when you start casting really? that, I want to audition for that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, and so that... That pilot then got sent out. Um, Warner Brothers bought it, so Warner Brothers like has the option, but we just haven't taken it anywhere yet. Um, and and so then, by that, did you get a development deal with Warner Brothers? When I when I agreed to come back for the final season of the originals, I got a development deal with my originals deal. So I, um, I, I, I kind of at that point, I'd done an episode of The Flash. I was a little bit like, do I want to do the last season of the originals? Is like, yeah, should I go and try? try to find my voice elsewhere. Um, but Julie really wanted me to come back. And so I, the offer that Warner Brothers made me, I really couldn't refuse. So, uh, that is how I got Russell basically is, because um, obviously that was a show in the nineties. Was that your idea or was no. that theirs? It was theirs. It was, um, so Roswell was, a, a, in the 90s was adapted from a book series called Roswell High that Fox Studios owned. Okay. And Fox Studios uh, let their ownership lapse. So they they stopped renewing their option on it. And um, Kevin Brown, who um, worked was a producer on the original 
TV show, uh, Snapchat writes the books in wow. 2018, 2017, 2018, yeah. 2017. And he, um, brought them to Amblin, Steven Spielberg's company. And wow. Amblin reached out to me. Um, Amazing. and so it was like this very long sort of process. And I was like, oh, I don't like at the time it was 2017. I was really on the heels of that 2016 election. Yeah. I was, um, in this space of like, I want to write something that means something. Like, yeah. I was a little bit tired of teenage vampires, and I felt like the original Roswell books were really very vampire. I knew, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it was like aliens instead of vampires, but it was the same kind of deal. And I, um, so I originally was like, I don't think this is my project. Yeah. But Julie, I owed Warner Brothers a pilot because I had had that blind pilot deal built in. And Julie said, look, go in and pitch them the version that you would want to do. Um, and at the very least, then they know who you are as a writer, and the next project that they bring to you is just to you. Yeah, they yeah. will understand you better, a little closer. I was like, okay. So I came up with this concept. Of, you know, I was like, all right, they're not in high school. They're all, like, pushing 30. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're, you know, the, the lead uh, was... Uh, Latina in the books, but they had then whitewashed her for the 1999 yeah. series because it was 1999. Um, and so I wanted her to be Latina. And at the time, there was a lot of uh, not at the time. I mean, still H- now. Hatred in the wall. Yeah, there was yeah. A, there was a lot of, of stuff at the time going on about like the Muslim ban, which I was obviously very invested in. Um, and I felt like I could tell a story there. So um, we made her a. a daughter of undocumented immigrants um and it was it was very um it was very political yeah i love the pilot and we thought that the cw was gonna be like thank you so much so nice to see you or we're gonna yeah. go with the person who wants to do the twilight version the pc version of yeah yeah, yeah. um you know the version that was like another vampire guy it's like there's yeah. a version of, of roswell that probably could have been this like crazy smash riverdale hit um yeah. And instead, they we, they wanted to tell my story. They wanted to tell a story about America as it is now, um, and with this, you know, extra bonus of also a UFO crash here. Yeah, um, I'm really grateful okay. for them to them for that because I think that they could have made a very splashy teen soap. Um, and got gone safe. Yeah, and yeah. They, they not only have they really been supportive of my ideas and, and, you know, the bolder moves that I've made mostly, you know, I, I have, I fight my fights. I fight, I fight my battles. Yeah. Um, I understand. One, the, I won the ones that matter to me most, but, um, they've also been very, like, they, they haven't put a lot of pressure on me as far as ratings go. That's um, they're really cool at the CW and like, look, we, the numbers aren't crazy when people watch live on TV because yeah, Nobody watches live, live TV. Live, yeah. and so you know they're much more concerned about streaming numbers and and plus sevens, and so they've been really supportive of the show, even though the show was never like cover of Entertainment Weekly, like Nina Dobrev and Paul Wesley in a bed. Like, yeah, you know. yeah. Well, that kind of era of television is pretty much done because everyone's got. I mean, Yahoo's got a show. There's too much yeah. content. You know what I mean? It, yeah, it's insane. 
I'm honestly you told very the story you wanted to tell me. Where we're at. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're, you're doing a great job, and 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 I want to come audition for the next season because I love the show, <laughs> and like, I, let me play an alien or something, you know? <laughs> I'm, seriously, I want to work with you. You're a true like artist, that's you know? No, I mean every word. And of that's it. what I really want. I really want. I really want to be a place that people want to go, you know? And yeah. I felt that on my first time that I got, went to sit on the Vampire Diaries when I was 22. And I really want to create that feeling for other people. I want, I never want people to feel like they're trapped on my show. Um, yeah. And I, uh, yeah, we work hard. Sometimes we, we uh, shoot and we miss, but. Um, no, I love it. But it's a good place to work, hopefully. <laughs> That's beautiful. And, and you guys do have a third season, but it's probably held up because of yeah yeah um we were supposed to we we're supposed to start shooting in july which would be like rolling camera about a month from right now that's not gonna happen i think even though new mexico is maybe open or not open um or- yeah i mean it doesn't really matter because we're we're gonna work with the standards of the dga and the wga and sag and yeah all, yeah also like santa fe we love we, we film in santa fe and we love santa fe and yeah. Um, we're very like grateful to the local population. The last thing that I want to do is bring a bunch of Californian assholes to Santa Fe with coronavirus. Right. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> respect so that. So I, you know, we're we're waiting to figure out what's safe for us, what's safe for the city, um, what how how to write the story so that the actors are safe as possible. If that means we're not doing as many kissing scenes this year, then that might just be what we have to do. We have real people with real health to worry about. Um, do you have everything pre-written or do you write it as like... Normally we write it as we go. So, yeah, um, yeah. But this season we we do have a little bit of advance. You know, because we were expecting to go back in July and we're not. So we'll have more scripts written than, than we usually do when we start. That said, things are changing every day. So like we are writing a version of things. And then if rapid testing gets better, then we might get to change it. Or if there's another spike and things get worse, we might have to change it. We don't know. So at this point, you don't know if you're going to roll before 2020 ends. We don't know for sure, but I'm pretty confident that we'll go back to work. I'm Amazing. That we'll be back to work this fall. Um, the probably around the end of September, beginning of October. It's more of a question of what are we going to shoot? Like, yeah. are we going to be able to put no extras? Maybe all interiors. Yeah, yeah. You know, exteriors are actually kind of safer right now. Oh, really? Oh, outside. I didn't even think about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Until we're. Get, I mean, we shoot in Santa Fe. It's a seven thousand foot elevation. There are blizzards, so you know until we get until it gets into winter, and then it's no longer safe to be outside. Um, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do our best to to make it work to give an audience give the audience a little bit of an escape from coronavirus without yeah. you know endangering our our team. Yeah. Um, but it's I will say you know it's one of the things that's sort of weird about becoming a showrunner is like you. Somebody goes, this girl's a really good writer. Let's put her in charge of 300 people. And those are not the same skill set. Being a good writer means I'm good alone in a room with my... Yeah. I'm not a general. (laughs) Yeah. And then then managing 300 people is a very different skill set that I... You know, you learn as you go. Yeah. There's no other way to do it but to to go. And so 
this is a new this is a new thing for me. Um, being in charge of people's safety was stressful in season one and two. Yeah. Um, this is a new level of of being in charge of people's safety that's scary because you know it's not just if somebody sorry I'm done. It's no, not it's okay. Somebody slips and falls. Uh, you know they could get hurt and it's disaster. It's like. This is now, if somebody slips and falls, then they go home and now their grandmother's going to slip and fall and their baby's going to slip and fall and everybody that they've met on the way is also going to slip and fall and it's going to be my fault. And it's like a very, you know, forget about the professional liability and financial liability. The human liability. The emotional liability of that is a lot for me. Um, So, you know, we're going to shoot when it's safe. Yeah. Um, and we're going to do our very, very best to keep everybody safe and to be entertaining, but we ha- are going to first prioritize safety and entertainment. I think res- we'll find a way to do both. But, you know. I respect that. I, I truly love the show. And when you're writing those co-star guest stars, remember. Seriously. Oh, I, I'm such a big fan. And, 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 and I have so much respect for you, especially just how you've been able, like your, your persistence and your willingness to, to, to be able to deal with all the things that were thrown your way and not get overwhelmed. I mean, that's, that's a real, but you're a showrunner, Karina, you're crushing it. You know what I mean? I, there's so many people in there that could have, I mean, I, I, I really mean this and, and, and it's not their fault, but there are people that, that don't get over the 9-11 mockery, that don't get over the college professor telling them they're never going to be funny. You know, those things really hurt. And, how you were able to manifest those into a creative thing and stay persistent and to literally create is a coup. That's, that's what artists do. You're like an artist through and through. More people helped me than hurt me. And, and, and that's what makes the difference. Um, and I think that that's the responsibility that anybody who does achieve any kind of success in this industry, that's your responsibility is to, to be the person that helps other people instead of hurting other people. So, and uh, have you since felt the need to, to pay it forward, if you will? Um, I think I, I, I hope I do. You know, yeah. I, I have people that I feel like a mentor to, um, you know, like I said, the, the Eva McKenna, who was a production assistant on, the producer's assistant, I'm sorry, on uh, the originals was then my assistant on the pilot, and she's now executive story editor on Roswell. And you know, you pull people up through the ranks as they as they earn their way up through the ranks. And I I try I try really hard to be a good mentor. Um, but like I said, I truly feel like I'm still learning as I go every single day and fucking up on along the course. So. You know, you do your best, but uh, you fake it till you make it. You made it. <laughs> we, one of our actors, is going to direct this season, and you know, we try to pull people and up the ranks and make sure that people get to chase the thing that they that, that you know makes them happy. So that's that's why I created this podcast. That's amazing. That's so beautiful. Well, can you can you talk about? I mean, I know you're still immersed in this. Is there anything else? Like I know that other show you mentioned, you're still trying. But is there anything else in the immediate future for Karina? Um, I've got two projects that I'm developing. One is my like actual dream project that I don't want to talk about because I keep getting scared. So All right, do it first. Yeah. But it is a an adaptation of one of my favorite songs. Okay. Um, I'm a big country music fan, and country music has oh, wow. a lot of narrative to them. Um, yeah. So that's that's the first thing, and then I'm also working on an adaptation, developing an adaptation of a book. 
um, that's a super cool book set in in England at a at a grad school. And it's oh really very dark. very normal people esque. Oh God, I wish. <laughs> I can just like write a sequel to Normal People on Twitter this morning. So many. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they did my show. Paul and Daisy are friends. They're great. I love them. Oh, so. Like I, yeah. I just. What a show! Like yeah. what a dream show. Um, yeah. Uh, the yeah the the it's sort of a it's a little bit of a dark. I, I want to say it's a it's a um, a pivot thriller. Yeah, yeah, it's different. It, they're both very different projects for me because there's no supernatural aspect and they're not CW centric. They're definitely older projects. So um, we'll see. We'll see if they go anywhere. But yeah. honestly, I will say you know. I, I don't have aspirations to like be Greg Berlanti. I don't ever need to have a zillion shows because and I respect, I love him so much. I, I have so much respect for him and I'm so, he had a huge influence on me as a kid and a huge influence on me, on me now. Um, but I don't need an empire because the thing that I love and the thing that I have always loved is the writing part. The like yeah. literally sitting at my computer by myself in my room yeah. writing a story, and the more shows you have, the less you actually get to write. And I just want to write, so um, I'm not looking to one show at a time. It's like fine for me. I'm not going to feel like I'm like not I'm like a failure if I don't have a, a long line of, of yeah things to do. So well, you're um, crushing it. You see, you you do have a long line, and I'm so proud of you. Thanks. And I know we just met, but this I really is am. Really lovely conversation. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'll, I'll see you in Roswell. I hope, or at least on a self tape. But uh, yeah, yeah. Listen, everybody, self tape is the norm now. We're not yeah. doing rooms anymore. So. When you when you write a moderately attractive, you know, brooding character, I'm I'm your guy. <laughs> but uh, so. Final question, Karina. You know, this is heavy, but I please answer it in the way you can. For the, for the young Karinas out there that are, you know, maybe so in Greenwich or are in college and don't feel appreciated by the professors and don't know whether to move to L.A. or New York, what, what advice would you give for them? Um, first of all, I think that if you want to be a writer, you have to move to L.A. You, um, you believe that? I do. I okay. Do. I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say it. Can, do, you mind, do you mind answering yeah. why? Yeah, um, the, in the end, unfortunately, it doesn't matter how talented you are it mat- it, until you know somebody. Got it. Because getting somebody to read your stuff is hard. And the first thing is getting somebody to read your stuff and then convincing them that you are somebody they want to spend eight hours a day with for the next six months. Um, yeah. And writing TV happens in LA. LA isn't yeah. my, like, it's not where my heart is. I yeah. I'm here because the business where the work is. And, and, you know, luckily I've done shows that have taken me elsewhere. I spend a lot of time, spent a lot of time in Atlanta. Now I spend a lot of time in Santa Fe. I spent a lot of time in Vancouver. Um, where, but you know, Toronto, but the writing ultimately for all of those things happens here in LA. And, I will say it's, I think it's the biggest like gatekeeping thing as far as like, it's expensive to move here and not everybody has parents that can help them. And not everybody has a friend whose couch they can crash on. Yeah. And I think that that's something we need to do better in the industry is to, to make it easier for people who might not be able to get here, to get here. Atlanta is an option now. Atlanta is a little, is becoming a little bit thanks to Tyler Perry and, and you know, the, the way that he's sort of trans. Pinewood studios as well. Hollywood. Yeah. 
Atlanta, Atlanta, we're calling it Hollywood now. Um, but the way that he's kind of transformed that, I think that there is, there's some writing opportunity there. Not a lot though, because he mostly writes all of his own shit. Um, but, but really you gotta be in LA. And I think it sucks that you do, but you do. So that's, you know, the tough, the, the tough advice that I give a lot of kids is figure out a way, you know, and, and, you wouldn't no. say the same is true for actors, though, right? Because there are no. these other pockets, yeah, Atlanta, no, Vancouver. You, like, you yeah. can be in one of those and, and get the co-star guest star and work your way to an L.A. or New York. Yeah, and there's like re- it's like regional, right? So like yeah. in, in Santa Fe, when we're hiring for like a smaller role and we're searching regionally, that includes like Austin and Dallas. And like yeah. we're not just looking in Santa Fe and Albuquerque. Um, Someone who can go yeah. local. Right. Somebody yeah. who's, I mean, yeah. there's local and there's regional and regional is less expensive for us than playing somebody from, you know, LA, even though. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I think that, that writing wise, you gotta get yourself in a room and it sucks. But right now I think that, that, that means getting to LA. I don't, I, it might change because of the way that zoom is working and everything. Like yeah. there might be a world in which I don't have to live in LA anymore, which will be great. Yeah. Um, you can, you can live in Croatia. Or- I'll be in, in <laughs> so fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but you know, you, that's, that's part of it. That's the first piece of advice. Um, the second piece of advice that I would give, sorry about my dog. The oh, second okay. piece of advice that I would give is, and I say this all the time, but when you find your people, stay with them and build yourself a family and surround yourself with people who push you forward and lift you up and want you to be better and want you to be successful and um, don't compare you to that. Don't compare themselves to you. Compare and despair. Yeah, I, yeah. I, my world changed when the Vampire Diaries family welcomed me in. Yeah, and made me feel like I belong some, somewhere. And then my world changed again when, you know, my, my group of friends that I have now in LA that, you know, outside of that, and it, it also including that like grew and, and solidified. And I surround myself now with people who make me feel like I should work harder and be better, yeah. but also make me feel really good about where I've come from, what I've done and, and how hard I try. Um, and that's made a big difference to me. I think that it's hard, you know, I don't want to say it's like harder in LA because I don't really ascribe to the whole like people are fake in LA thing. Yeah. I, don't, I think people are fake everywhere because they're trying to be polite and totally. you know trying to get by. But um, I I think that it's hard as a young adult to um, uh, who's chasing something impossible, who's chasing yeah. something big and scary. Um, I think it's hard to find people who not only like support you and believe in you when you're trying, but who also have your back once you get there. Um, because those are very different things. And I, I've been very, I don't want to say I've been lucky to find that because I, it's work finding the right people to surround yourself is work and, um, losing, you know, not taking a step away from people who don't support you is work. Um, and it's hard. And I think that, that that's my biggest thing is like, know your people. And then when you, when you find them just like fight for what, for, for, you know, what your family is. And I, that's never let me down. That's so beautiful. Karina McKenzie. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was an immense Thank pleasure. You so much for having me. This is really we got to cool. do it again. And I uh, hopefully we'll see you in Roswell, New Mexico. <laughs> 
I got so much love for you, and, and seriously, keep keep doing right. what you're doing. I'm so excited to see for all that. I'm trying to. Yeah. Iris would just like ease up a little bit. It's going to. <laughs> it's going to. And and I want to hear more about those other projects. When you're ready to talk about them, you come back here. Okay. <laughs> I got so much love for you, Karina. Oh, yeah, I couldn't insane. say more. I'm so uh, scared. Other people are going to be like, I had that idea first. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Well, I. It was vague. Don't worry. Nobody knows. <laughs> All right, Karina. Hey, have a great week. And I got so much love for you. And, and happy 4th of July. Yeah, thank you so much. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.